Spotify. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lackadaisical Libricularist Podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Liberal Cuba. My name is Jordan Maywood and I am the Lackadaisical Libricularist. Today, my friends, is Movie Monday. Combining movies and Mondays to make Mondays not as bad as they normally are. In fact, possibly even good. Possibly good. Wow. I don't want to get cocky, but this um, Monday involving movies might even be good and not, in fact, bad. Wow. Amping the cockiness up. Something I like to say at the top of every show is that there will be spoilers. Folks, please take heed of this warning. I am oozing with heed. Have as much as you like. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment in iTunes. That is what helps others find the podcast. Yes, sir. That will, of course, take us into our last piece of podcast-related business, as I want to hop in pretty quick today. So I am rush, rush, rushing a little bit, little bit, little bit. And that is today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Colgate Brand Douche. Once again, today's sponsor is Colgate Brand Douche. Four out of five dental gynecologists agree that Colgate Brand Douche is good. Okay, so today I have... For your listening pleasure, question mark at the end of that sentence, four, count them, four uh, movies. Probably, if I had to guess, two on the way in, two on the way home, from work, that is. But you never know. Anything can happen within the liberal cube. Anything at all. The sky could open up, and a giant hand could reach down and take me into the heavens. Being a sort of staunch, militant atheist, that is unlikely. Very, very unlikely. Speaking of skies opening up and things happening, my first item is a stand-up special from Mr. John Hodgman called Ragnarok. Ragnarok, ah, which is, I believe, the Norse term name for sort of the end of the world. This is, I do believe, his first comedy special, I think I possibly, maybe? The first I've seen, anyways. It is available for free on Netflix. Canadian Netflix, I should specify, because I do believe if it's available on Canadian Netflix, that will therefore mean it is available on American Netflix. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. I think very, very rarely, and infrequently even, even those even though both those words mean the same thing, uh, things will be available in Canada and will not be available in the U.S. Quite often happens the other way around, but not usually uh, that way. John Hodgman, who you may know, 
Well, from several different places I know him from. First and foremost, probably sort of the general public would know him from the PC versus Mac commercials in which he was the PC and, oh, I forget the guy's name, who was the Mac. You know, those ones. Uh, then probably secondary people will know him from The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, where he is the sort of resident expert, period, full stop. Lastly, where I probably have had my most exposure to him in terms of just time, is he has a podcast called Judge John Hodgman, in which people will write in for him to judge, sort of a la Judge Judy. <laughs> their various problems, however, in a comedic nature. So, there you go. Uh, super, super funny dude, and I believe incredibly smart, which uh, quite often, I think, go hand in hand, smart and funny. It's not often, or perhaps ever, that you will find someone who is dumb and funny, unless they are funny for their dumbness to such a degree that it is humorous. I suppose that is a possibility. The way this stand-up comedy special was sort of set up, let's say, was that this was a documentary of the final hours of the existence of the planet. And uh, it was going to cease to exist. However, John Hodgman decided that a good way to spend his final hours on the planet was entertaining folks in a comedy special. Lovely. Mr. Hodgman came out on stage, immediately took his shoes and socks off, which, you know, why not? That'll get people's attention, just, I think, for the reason even that. Has any comedian ever got up on stage and taken their shoes and socks off? Whoa, bird. Sorry. Bird's not getting out of the way. We had a deal. Anyways, started off, as quite often comedians will do, with a sort of, oh, I know what you're thinking joke. With regards to John Hodgman, it was with regards to uh, his mustache. Quite often, comedians that have a look about them, so say if you're fat, or if you have a funny mustache in this case, or if you have weird hair, or things of that nature, things that are out of the ordinary, a comedian will start his act with, I know what you're thinking. Uh, in this case, it was along the lines of, I know what you're thinking. I've been hired to play Higgins in the Magnum P.I. reboot, <laughs> which to me got a huge laugh just for the reason, well, hey, that it's funny, sure, yeah, yeah, but that is exactly what I was thinking he looked like. He looks exactly like Higgins from the original, well, there is only one, Magnum P.I. from back in the, was that 80s, I guess? I was a kid when it was on, so. Uh, it's early on in the show, he, see, this was kind of hard for me to tell if this was part of the show or it was just a happy coincidence, but uh, sort of front row left of the of the stage, there was a, a young man by the age of, say, 14, somewhere somewhere in there. So John, Ho John Hodgman spies him out, and because he knows he's going to be getting a little dirty from time to time, <laughs> kind of brings him up on stage and uh, sends him outside to await the end of the world and sort of let us know if he notices anything that would sort of hint that the end of the world is nigh. Very, very funny. The reason that I, I kind of don't think... I think the... Po let's, let's say it this way. I think the possibility exists that this was set up 
was because this freaking kid was super, super funny and, like, not nerve. well, seemed a little nervous, but very, very vocal, and the things that he said were very, very humorous, as if it was pre-written. If it was not pre-written, which is also a possibility, I don't want to be too cynical, uh, this kid friggin' gotta get into comedy, man. He had some good comedy timing and chops. I very much like it. We would check in with him sort of from time to time. He was sent inside, uh, had a jacket on. John Hodgman said, okay, let me have your jacket. Sent inside without a jacket, so... Occasionally, we'd pan outside to see him sort of huddling in the street, cold, jacketless, in the middle of the night. Combining mean and funny. My funny. Something that John Hodgman got into, which I like, well, I like, is sports. And by that, I mean, I like it when comedians who, obviously, have sort of no great love of sports will talk of sports. Sort of my prime example was... Uh, Kevin Pereira on Attack of the Show, back when that was a thing, would have a segment occasionally called, It's Time to Sports, in which he would talk of sports as if he was a, without actually knowing anything of them. So uh, John Hodgman did it along those lines and pointing out sort of ridiculousnesses in various sports. To great amusement of myself, who believes that both sports and religion should be totally wiped out of the planet and we would live in a utopia in which I would have a holodeck, I would have replicators, we would be able to devote all of our time to the pursuit of happiness and art and things of that nature, the betterment of humankind in general, and science and exploring the stars and living on other planets. I think if we had no sports or religion, that would be a fact right now. How about that? For throwing something out. Mm -hmm. He had a girl come on and play the accordion, who had a very beautiful voice and sound, sang sort of a mellow, almost sad, melancholy, a mellow and melancholy, uh, humorous song. So uh, I like that, in which the audience would at one point howl like wolves. The show was sort of wrapped up with various tips on how to survive the apocalypse for Mr. Hodgman, including things involving urine and mayonnaise, which I will not get into because I'm out of time, and that was sort of his closer. So I hope you go over there to Netflix and listen for yourself. He wrapped it all up in a neat little package with a song on a electric ukulele that was very, very heartwarming. And again, the sort of audience joined in. So... After this, and uh, Reggie Watts' Why Shit So Crazy uh, comedy specials, I think that combining a little music in with your comedy is a good thing, as perhaps Martha Stewart would say. Why do I know that? I don't know. Moving on to Movie the Seconds. Since I spent more time than I planned to on Ragnarok, I'm going to have to speed through a little bit, I think. Movie the Second is called Rush Hour. You may have heard of this film. I believe it did quite well at Cannes. Starring, of course, Mr. Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. One of Jackie Chan's, not first movies by a long shot, but first movies where his sort of English speaking was more prominent or there at all. Just on that note, uh, I think you got to give him some definite props because I think I have sort of heard over the years that English is one of the hardest languages to learn. And uh, 
despite the fact that in the outtakes there's some examples of him kind of screwing up, they also give Chris free words in Chinese that he could not even... He, he did eventually, but I don't think well, and it took him many takes. So uh, give him some props for being in a movie, not knowing the language that the movie is in very well, and really pulling it off, I think. So good on him. The reason that this movie is in this Movie Monday episode is because the missus begged me to watch this, which she didn't really have to. I had seen it back in the day, let's say, when it originally came out, um, and then was very, very... I'm going to go ahead and throw in an extra very surprised to learn that this is one of her favorite movies, which to me is odd, but uh, a pleasant surprise. On that note... Oh, I forgot to give Ragnarok a rating. Okay, let me do it this way. Ragnarok gets a rating of 4 out of 5. Solid, solid 4 out of 5. Just shy of 5 out of 5. Some, let, let's say this, because I like to do a convoluted rating. Solid 4 out of 5 with some 5 out of 5 moments. Huh? Huh? Uh, Rush Hour, my rating's going to be 3 to 4. Same thing. Uh, 3 overall, some 4 out of 4 moments. 4 out of 5 moments. Okay? Now, the missus, who when we watch a movie together, I try to get her rating and bring it back, just so you can see that quite often her scale is broken. In a The Misses First, she gives a movie a 5 out of 5. This is literally every single time I've ever asked her what her rating out of 5 of a movie would be that we watch together. I think there's only been one 4. Everything else has been 1s, 2s, and 3s. So to have a 5 is really just mind-boggling. She gave Rush Hour a 5 out of 5 on her broken scale. Wow. So... You know, take that with a grain of salt. It's a good movie, but uh, does it deserve 5 out of 5? I don't think very many people would agree that it deserves a 5 out of 5. I don't want to poo-poo it. If you are unfamiliar with Rush Hour 5, Rush Hour 5, with Rush Hour, uh, it stars Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker is a uh, L.A. cop who is in trouble with his boss. His boss, who is played by uh, the guy who played Bookman in Seinfeld. So... That was amusing. Bookman, let's just call him, decides to give him a shitty assignment, which is basically babysitting Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, who has flown over from China, specifically Hong Kong, because one of the head muckety-mucks of Hong Kong, who apparently lives in L.A., I guess, or that's where the consulate is, yeah. Uh, his daughter was kidnapped. The FBI are on the case. However, he's like, Wait a second, guys. I know this guy in Hong Kong who I really, really trust, and I want to get him to be involved with this investigation. FBI's like, oh, okay, sir, yes, whatever you say, we'll get right on that. And then decides to keep him totally out of the investigation, which uh, you always sort of hear that. I don't know how accurate it is in actual real life, but in movies and books that there's always sort of fighting about whose case is whose, and should it be just the FBI's or local law enforcement, or in this case... Um, a cop from China, a detective, you know. So I guess it happens. Is there is there a grain of truth in that? You know what? In an effort to get a little audience participation, as I do, if you know, or are perhaps in the FBI, I know I have a big FBI listenership, then you could let me know if uh, that sort of thing actually goes on. Curious, curious. The, uh, <laughs> I wanted to say, too, that the, the daughter who was kidnapped, she's a little spitfire, and I uh, really liked her. Full of moxie 
if you will. The bad guy is sort of a Asian mafia, Chinese mafia, I guess is a way you can look at it. There is, right at the beginning, an Asian guy with bleach blonde hair. And I will say, if you are watching an action movie and there is an Asian gentleman with bleach blonde hair, he's going to be a bad guy. That is, it kind of goes without saying. It's one of those things, a trope, I believe you would call it. The the combination of Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan is pretty freaking spot on, I will say. It's like peanut butter and jelly. They did two other Rush Hour movies, which I'm sure at some point I will bring back. And uh, it's a good it's a good little series. Combining action and comedy is, is you. It's hard to go wrong with that. I suppose you can go wrong, but these movies do not. Folks, I'm at work. So, as predicted, two movies on the way to work, and I will have two movies on the way home. Just like I planned. Yay, plan coming together. I will be back in eight hours. That, of course, leaves one final thing to say, which is, Oh. My. Blob. Love you, dearies. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. Back. We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Eight hours of work completed on a Monday, no less. And yet, uh, flew by like a goddamn. Whirling Dervish. Not sure what a Whirling Dervish is, but what I gather over my 30-some-odd years on this planet, that they move quickly and hectically. It's those little things that you pick up along the way that knowing what a Whirling Dervish is, kind of, sort of, but not actually knowing what it is, that's really all what life is about. It's not really, I don't know what I'm talking about, of rambling on like a maniac, but that is just what this podcast is about, me rambling on like a maniac. That is correct, actually. See, there was a grain of truth in that mumbling of incoherence. Oh boy, I should really just hop right into Movie Monday. However, I want to say one thing, and uh, very, very rarely do I throw in any sort of work-related talk, despite the fact that I am recording this to and from work. But uh, today we just got a new hire... Or rather, we hired a new hire, which will start in a couple of days. So, uh, very, very exciting. Um, it's not often in a small company that you will have someone new come in. So, it's, uh, it's nice. It's changing. It's moving. It's growing. It's things of that nature. What I am perhaps most excited about is, I do believe, that we have hired a nerd. What? You'd almost think I had some sort of... Uh, perhaps say or pull in this decision, which perhaps I did. Perhaps I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's interesting, the thoughts that I may potentially, I do believe, be working with a fellow nerd, which I don't think has ever really happened in my entire work career. So, hmm. looking forward to that. Movie the third. It's a little film by the name of World War X. No, no. That would be like the porn version of this movie. World War Z. Ooh, porn porn version of World War Z, World War X. Yeah, I like that. You ever play that game? I remember playing once at the cottage where you turn normal movie titles into um, porn movie titles or titles, if you prefer. 
Uh, I think one of my favorite is Star Trek The Next Penetration. Um, yeah, that's probably my favorite one for sort of obvious reasons. But World War X, we'll add it to the list, why don't we? This movie, of course, is about zombies. In fact, the, or a, I suppose, zombie apocalypse. Uh, I read the book, and I do believe I brought it back on a movie month, or on a book Wednesday? It's a good question. If I did, what I'll do is what I did with Kiss the Girls, and have a clickable link in the description. Jordan, do that, if that's the case. So you can uh, go back and listen to, if you so desire, my Book Wednesday talk of World War Z, because I think I did it. Just sort of on that note, my memories of the book are not crystal clear. I, I do sort of remember that it was written through kind of journal entries and letters and communiques and memos, and it was very interesting in that I don't think I've ever read a book written such as that. And perhaps that's why I'm having difficulty finding much connection between the two. Uh, I have a feeling, and again, this is with a not crystal clear memory, that the book and the movie have very, very vast differences as far as storyline. Uh, which makes sense just for the reason that the book jumped around a lot, just as far as whose letters and communiques and memos and emails that we were... Uh, reading over the course of the book, whereas this pretty much, for the most part, 90-ish percent sticks with Mr. Brad Pitt, who is the star of the show. Uh, and other sort of story plot points, I don't really, really recall too much from the book. I think I only gave the book like a 3 out of 5, if I do recall. It didn't, didn't exactly blow me away, whereas this movie did blow me away. So, very, very, very rare occurrence... Uh, at least for me, one man's opinion, I will specify that the movie was better than the book. So, pretty crazy. I will give this movie a 5 out of 5. Yeah, it is, I, th I think, one of the sort of very underlying definitions I would give to this movie. <laughs> this is kind of gross and strange, but uh, I would definitely call it a sweaty hands movie. My hands, my hands were on the edge of their seats and just friggin' sweating away, man. It's sort of long periods of hand sweatiness followed by brief, very too brief feeling moments of just oh, oh god I need a break. This, this movie is too exciting. Uh, which is very, very good from the makers of the movie that I think if it was non-stop action the, the entire time you'd be too stressed out by the end of it. You need those moments of sort of respite to to sort of get calm, cool, and collected for a couple of minutes while you ramp up for the next burst of crazy, crazy action and edge of your seatness. So uh, it starts out as a lot of zombie apocalypse movies do, and it is day one of the zombie apocalypse. Brad Pitt and wife and two daughters are in Philadelphia, was it? Eh, unimportant. They're in a major city, which is where you goddamn well do not want to be in a zombie apocalypse, let me tell you. So, shit starts to go down. Something kind of cool that I can't ever remember in a another zombie movie that Brad Pitt found out through sort of watching and timing that people bitten by zombies have about 12 seconds 
before they turn, which is cool for the reason that your outbreak is going to spread very, very quickly, but not as cool because it never gives you the opportunity for, say, someone to be bitten and then hide their bite and then sort of join in with your group and slowly change without telling you and then suddenly he's among you and he's a zombie. That idea can never really happen in this zombie universe. This is also a, I guess as you could classify it, a fast zombie movie. In fact, some of, probably maybe even the fastest of all zombies I've ever seen, like they're goddamn hopping around on all fours like cheetahs at some point. It's pretty, does that make it more scary, less scary? It kind of takes away, although it does happen from time to time, just in the beginning mostly, that one of the main things for me, my love of zombie movies, is that it is quite often not the slow-moving zombies that are the real threat. It is sort of the rest of humanity that you really got to watch out for. There's uh, drips and drabs of that in this, so it's nice to see, but it's not sort of the, the overpowering lookout for this threat. Uh-huh. Brad Pitt and family are saved by the army and the American government, the UN actually, because he has not zombie experience, but experience in tracking around the globe threats. Sort of a global detective. He's been out of the game for a little while, but they pulled him back in. Basically with the threat of um, setting his family back onto the, not the mainland, but they have his family protected on a ship, and if he doesn't get back in the game, then they're gonna, him and his family are no use to them, so they're gonna set them sort of free. Not very nice of the UN. So from that point on, he's globe trekking. This is the part I don't really remember exactly, but I think these are sort of the parts that follow the story a little bit more than others, his treks around the globe. Uh, starts out in South Korea, where one of sort of very first mentions of the word zombie appeared. From there, uh, ends up in Israel, specifically Jerusalem, I do believe. That was a cool part, because Jerusalem was one of, or perhaps the only, area on the globe that saw this coming, for reasons that are explained in the movie, which I will not get into here. So they had built a giant wall and thought, uh, uh, spoiler, yes, I warned you at the beginning, they thought that would protect them. However, there's a part, and this is actually not too much of a spoiler, just because it was in the trailer for this, where you see the sort of zombies piling up in front of a wall, and piling up, and piling up, and eventually getting over. That is probably, I would say, the most heart-pounding, sweaty hand section, is seeing the seeing the Waldorf Jerusalem have these zombies come over the wall and they're all sort of enclosed within Jerusalem, so there's nowhere to run, which, as you can imagine, makes for some sweaty hands or perhaps no hand moments because there's a point where a girl has her hand chopped off by Brad Pitt because she's bitten on the hand. Luckily, that saves her from turning. She is uh, his sort of companion for uh, the last chunk of this, so it was pretty cool. I, I liked her. Uh, they make their way to Wales. Wales, which uh, Doctor Who will visit from time to time. Okay, so let me run down some things as far as that. They travel to Wales, where Doctor Who, specifically, 
I guess, Torchwood, which is a Doctor Who spinoff. Torchwood being an anagram of Doctor Who. So many connections here, I'm about to blow your mind. Uh, Who, or the World Health Organization, one of the gentlemen working for the Who, located in Wales, is none other than... Oh shit, didn't write down his goddamn name. That's the name curse. Anyways, none other than the gentleman who is going to be the next Doctor Who. What? So he plays a doctor who works for the World Health Organization, a.k.a. Who, and he's the next Doctor Who. And it takes place in Wales, where Doctor Who visits from time to time, including Torchwood, which is an anagram of Doctor Who, and I believe this actor was also actually on an episode of Torchwood. Am I remembering that correctly? Sort of mind-blowiness popping up there around Doctor Who in this. So I love it, and mention it, and we'll, you know what, goddamn well end my talk of World War Z with that. Do they live happily ever after? They live. They live. Let's just leave it at that and move on to our next movie. Oh shit! I have two more movies, I've just realized. Fuck, I fucked that up. Um, apologies, I thought I only had four movies. I spent way too much time on World War Z, so I'm going to have to speed through these last two movies. Wow, I haven't fucked up like that in a while. Anyways, enough talking about it, because that is further wasting my time. Idiot. Next movie is called Teeth, which is available for your viewing pleasure on Canadian Netflix, and thereby most likely American Netflix. Uh, heard about this movie, read, I think, some reviews, saw it on Netflix, and the description of the movie will pull you in, I suppose, if you're a crazy person. That's <laughs> it, pulling me in. But don't let that description sort of dissuade you from watching it, as it might some people, because it's a lot deeper than what you're going to read, which is basically something along the lines of <laughs> a young girl who has um, teeth in her vagina experiences some biting off of penises and things of that nature. Aha. Uh -huh. That's just sort of your underlying story, people. It's not all about that. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's a movie. It had, kind of had a feel of a movie from a couple of years ago called Slither. Uh, I will give Slither, which just saying that it loud and remembering that I haven't seen it in a while, five out of five. This movie also, coincidentally, you know, 5 out of 5. Very, very much enjoyed it. Kind of had a dark comedy feel a little bit. Maybe not too heavy on the comedy. But you can't be 100% serious 100% of the time when your main character is a teenage girl with uh, chomping teeth in her vagina. You can't. It's impossible. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? Our uh, sponsor kind of making sense now, isn't it? Yeah. That's a, that's a coincidence. She lives near a nuclear power plant. There's a couple of shots where that's in the background, so that's we're just kind of making the, I guess, logical assumption that that is why she's got vaginal teeth. Her brother, or her brother or stepbrother, more accurately, is played by um, the son from the television show Nip Tuck, which uh, the missus is a big fan of, so I thought I would mention it. And he's very good in it. She is, I suppose, luckily, one of these um, virginess, uh, taking a vow not to have sex before marriage type religious folk girls. 
However, it kind of ends up not working out that way for her. If it did, it would be kind of a boring movie, I suppose. Her first guy pushes herself on him in a not very nice manner. He then has his sort of penis bitten off by these vaginal teeth. Second, let's call him victim, is a gynecologist who has his fingers up there in a not very nice, very creepy, again, maybe we'll even go sweaty hand scene, his fingers, then bitten off. Good luck explaining that. Lastly is a guy, or thirdly is a guy who, at first, they have sex, and because she is, uh, I guess, lack for lack of a better word, into it, uh, everything goes everything goes swimmingly. He gets away with his penis intact. However, they go at it again. He gets a phone call mid-coitus uh, along the lines of, yeah, I'm banging her right now. I told you I could. You owe me such and such money. I won the bet. This obviously upsets her. Penis bitten off. Lastly, her mom, uh, not quite sure, actually don't remember if she died, but uh, was very, very sick, probably due to this living near the uh, atomic power plant. She goes sort of deathly ill. Her stepbrother could have been there to save her, is not. So, because she knows this fact, and also knows that her stepbrother has always had a sexual fondness for her, further creepiness there, <laughs> uh, decides that, well, she's got this vaginal teeth that doesn't like people that she doesn't like. Huh? Yeah. So why not take advantage of it, right? Uh, has sex with him, bites a penis off. The penis is then eaten, eaten by a dog. So, the end. The end with the exception of a sort of final scene that I really like, where she has run away from home at this point. She's hitchhiked with a man, an old man, a dirty old man, who's sort of winking at her, doing a little tongue-flicking, disgusting action. She is not impressed. However, she kind of turns... Did she turn to the camera? I, I think she kind of did. She kind of turns to the camera at that point, and her frown of disgust turns into a little smirk, a little knowing smirk, that this man is goddamn going to lose his penis as well, I guess. Fuck. So, if you ever meet a girl who you force yourself on and find out that she has uh, sharp, shark-like teeth in her vagina, well, you had it coming, bro. Learn from this movie. I almost have zero time for this last movie, but that's okay because it is not very good. <laughs> How about there? It's called Three Miles North of Molcom. Uh, I'm going to spell that for you. It's M-O-L-K-O-M. Uh, I think boiled down, it's, it's a documentary. Documentary of a Australian rugby coach who joins some friends in in uh, Sweden for a festival called the No Mind Festival. No Mind Festival. Uh, this is, again, since we're almost out of time, I'll just boil it down. It's hippies. <laughs> That's basically what it is. A hippy-dippy type festival. You got some uh, yoga. You got some throat singing. A little fire walking. Uh, my favorite name for one of the sort of things they did was the shamaniac journey that's combining shaman with maniac uh and journey hmm? 
basically they walked around the woods and hugged trees, which was amusing because <laughs> this Aussie gentleman was calling them tree huggers, and then one of the sort of events that they could participate in was literally hugging trees. So that amused me and him. It was just a very, very strange movie, which is kind of why I decided to watch it. And uh, I guess for that reason, it was interesting. Rating-wise, I'd go to maybe some three out of five. I definitely wouldn't watch it again, so probably closer to two than three. And the Aussie gentleman, I think over the course of the time he spent with his people, almost felt like he had some brainwashing going on with his sweat lodges and uh, eating very little food and constantly exposed to crazy people. It's going to wear on your psyche a little bit. So by the end, he was still mostly, for the most part, this is all kind of bullshit, but uh, had a little bit of the, yeah, yeah, I really, I really smell what you're cooking. So that's perhaps why I didn't like it too much. I mean, I don't have time to talk about it anymore. I kind of wish I did, but I don't. I'll tell you what, if you would like to discuss this movie, what you can do is tweet at me, Jordan underscore Maywood, or email me to the address provided in the closing credits. We can have a little chit-chat about it. Hey, why the hell not? That will leave one final thing to say, which is, of course, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address. Mailwood.jordan at gmail.com And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper.